We're singing a song called Magnificat, talking about Mary's song this day. Thanks, Deb. who learned the song this morning. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for blessing us with that. Uh, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Head on out. <clears throat> well, before we dive in and enjoy God in the midst of His Word, I just want to pray over you, God's people. A couple different things just want to make you aware of. One is Lisa Dow was supposed to be a part of that special presentation, but she suffered a broken arm yesterday. I know. And so she's looking to go in for surgery, I think this morning is the last I heard. So please be praying for Lisa. I got a lot on her plate over at the school and just, uh, there's never a good time to break an arm, you know. (laughs) But it does seem like there are some especially bad times. She's going to need help wrapping Christmas presents, is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, also, I wanted to give you a, a really quick update on the Peltiers. They sent me an email, and just the, the heart of the email was just to say thank you to you guys. They just feel very loved and cared for in the midst of this very difficult time. Love their church family. So grateful for all of you for the prayers and the ways that you have reached out with expressions of sympathy. Uh, they're all back in Maine, Bruce, and uh, was out in Wisconsin and just um, trying to deal with all the messiness uh, that follows in the, uh, following the death of Matthew, especially in such an unexpected way. But um, 
just all of that, they, they do want you to know at some point there will be a service, a memorial service, a celebration of life here in the county, but that will probably be sometime after the first of the year. They're just kind of trying to catch their breath and figure things out. And so I uh, appreciate you continuing to pray for the Peltiers as they are walking through this uh, season of grief. Uh, but let me just pray over you, God's people. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have a God to turn to with everything that's going on in our lives. And God, my heart is still full from yesterday's ordination service for Pastor Andrew. God, I'm just grateful for all those who traveled from far away. Um, in the, in the uh, case of the speaker, Tim, God, coming all the way from the West Coast and others traveling from downstate. But God, just a great gathering yesterday to affirm and celebrate and, um, and just acknowledge the calling that you have put on our brother's life. And God, pray your continued blessings on him as we go forward in ministry together. Father, this morning there is a great number of people gathered into this room, and there is so much going on in each of our lives. God, each one of us is walking around with a different mix of things that we're ashamed of, things that we're excited about, things that are horribly wrong, things that are going right. Father, and I just lift all of it up to you. Very grateful, God, that we have a God who is big enough to receive such a prayer. God, right now, the cries of each individual heart might be different, but you are able to hear it all. Father, we pray that you would put prayers on our lips that are pleasing to you, prayers that line up with your desires and your purposes. Father, I ask that you would help us to keep us from asking amiss. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give each one just exactly what they need for today's trouble. Father, whether their trial is one of prosperity or poverty today, God, I pray that you would give them the wisdom that is needed to represent you well in the midst of that, to look on their present circumstances in light of your great eternal purposes. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us at the point of our deepest need and give us this day what is needed. We look to you in trust. You are a great God. You have proven yourself to us. And we are grateful to have you as our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you want to uh, grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Um, I was explaining in the midweek email uh, that personally, and I don't think I said this outright in the midweek email, but my least favorite genre of movies are musicals. I just can't stand musicals. <laughs> I was like, why would they interrupt the story to sing a song? Doesn't make any sense. I know other people who love musicals. I know I'm getting some thumbs down from the back, uh, from the, from the re recording booth back there. I can't stand them. I just really have no patience for musicals at all. And part of my problem with musicals is they, they ask you to suspend reality where like somebody's walking down a street and then all of a sudden, people who are selling fruit start breaking out into song, and they're doing like a choreographed dance, and you're like, that just doesn't happen. Like, I've walked down the street. No, 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 no. The only time I've ever seen the public break out into unison, unchoreographed, spontaneous, in sync is when somebody falls and everybody laughs. That's it. Never seen it otherwise. 
The, so that's my problem with musicals. It's just like, oh, come on. I keep going, oh, come on, the whole time. However, when you read the Christmas story, in the span of two chapters, we find four instances of people breaking out into spontaneous singing. Luke chapter 1, we have Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. We find the angels in John chapter 2, and then maybe the most obscure of all the four, a man named Simeon sings a song. Four spontaneous songs bursting out into the Christmas story, and don't say, oh, come on, because it really happened. This is the amazing thing. Now, I have a lot of favorite Christmas songs, and I shared a couple years ago my all-time favorite Christmas song is not one of the most popular ones, but it's I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Love that Christmas song, my favorite. But I like other ones, too. And there are some I don't like. Like, what's that song that goes, last Christmas? No, just, like, if I could just erase any song from the record, I would just get rid of that one. But I also love, like, Jingle Bells. It's hard not to smile when Jingle Bells is playing, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, just some great Christmas songs. Thousands of Christmas songs have been written down through the years. It seems that Christmas has always inspired singing, but we're going to be studying the four original first Christmas songs ever. In fact, two of them were written before, or first performed before, Jesus was even born. One of them, the very day he was born, and the last, the fourth, just days afterwards. First, I need to put, so the first song, which um, they just did a beautiful job singing Mary's Song of Praise. Uh, you may have heard it heard called down through the history and you're being in church. Sometimes it's called the Magnificat because that's just drawn from that first line of Mary's song where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, the Magnificat, that's the magnifying. That's just the, you know, a very early on in church history, a lot of songs were sung in Latin. And so Mary's song, the Magnificat, still has that as a holdover from an earlier period in church history. We still call, tend to call this song the Magnificat because it's been celebrated going all the way back. But before we get to Mary's song, which is awesome, Awesome for me to think of Mary singing a song, that we actually have the lyrics to a song that Mary sang in our Bibles. It's kind of cool. Let me first just back up a little bit. Earlier in Luke chapter 1, we find the amazing story. And by the way, when you're a pastor and it comes Christmas time and you know you're going to be preaching on the Christmas story, part of you inwardly goes, oh, they have the notes to this lecture. <laughs> as soon as I start telling the Christmas story, everybody will just uh, check out and start doing their grocery list or something because who doesn't know the story of Mary and the angel and all of that? And, and, but I find it doesn't matter how often I hear this story. Like, I just really love it. I enjoy it. And I, I never tire of hearing about Jesus' coming into the world. The angel appears to Mary. And don't you wish you could have just been a fly on the wall to see it? I mean, man, that would have been something else. And the, and the angel greets Mary in a way that 
the Bible tells us was perplexing to her. Luke, in his gospel, which is where this is found, he tells the man he's writing his gospel to, uh, Theophilus, that he went back and talked to those who were there at the very beginning. He says that in the opening of his gospel. And who was there at the very beginning but Mary? Luke, I think, talked with Mary. And so when Mary is giving these sorts of recollections, this is really firsthand stuff. We wish we could have been a fly on the wall, but this is as close as the historical record ever gets. The angel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This really perplexes Mary. She's like, I don't understand. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Something I want you to see here. Uh, first of all, Christmas is not a celebration of a birth. Uh, don't, don't, don't frame Christmas in that way in your minds. Jesus, the, Jesus' is coming into the world is not the birth of a new person. It's a coming into the world of an infinitely old person. And Christmas does not mark really a birth so much as a deliberate movement towards death. Jesus is coming into the world, is doing that so that he could put on flesh so that he could be nailed to a cross. Christmas is about a deliberate movement towards death. Jesus began to set his face toward Jerusalem the very moment he appeared on the scene in Bethlehem. And we need to understand why Christmas is a thing to be celebrated and excited about. We must, first of all, understand what is happening here. That this is not like, ah, oh, baby's born. <laughs> no, we are witnessing the means by which we would be born again. If Christmas is a celebration of a birth, it is the fact that human beings born under the curse of Adam can be born again into a new family, an eternal, everlasting family. And the angel greeted Mary, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then adds, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This word favor, repeated twice by the angels in the angel's greeting, literally means grace. Greetings, O favored one. You have found favor. You found grace. He is not saying, as some suggest, that Mary was so remarkable 
that she was so pure, so lovely a woman, that God found her somehow uniquely deserving of the privilege of bearing Jesus in her womb. He is saying, Mary, you have found grace, unmerited favor in the eyes of God. And through you, he wants to extend that same grace to the entire fallen race of mankind. I think there is something always in the heart of fallen humans that want to make mankind bigger and more important than we are and to make God smaller than he is. So we need to resist any effort to make Mary anything other than what she was. Mary was a sinner. Mary was a normal girl, a teenage girl from a poor family, from the small, inconsequential town of Nazareth. She was promised in marriage, as most girls of her age were, to the equally unremarkable Joseph. Mary was just normal, just as you are normal. But even though we, like Mary, are normal and unremarkable, when we submit our lives to God, we find that he does some very abnormal and remarkable things through us. I don't, mean, I don't mean unremarkable in the sense that she had no gifts or had nothing to celebrate in her personal qualities. Of course, that's true. I don't mean to say that you're unremarkable in that sense. I just mean that there was nothing in Mary that placed her above human beings in terms of her spiritual qualifications. <laughs> I think she was probably unique in many ways, and there were many things if we got to know her where we would have said, that's amazing that Mary is like that. I'm not saying that about her. I'm just saying don't think that what Mary's response is something that you yourself are not capable of rising to. Although Mary was normal, what God intended to do for Mary and through Mary was anything but. Though Mary was a virgin who had never been with a man, the angel told her that she would conceive in her womb and bear a son, not just any son, though, the Messiah, who she was to name Jesus, a name which means Yahweh is salvation, Savior. The angel made the baby's identity clear when he said of Jesus that he would be given the throne of David and that he would reign on that throne forever. This is clear messianic language that any Jew, such as Mary, would have understood from go. He is talking about the long-awaited promised Messiah, the great national hope. Then angel, angel Gabriel also tells Mary that her older sister, her older relative, not sister, forgive me, was also unexpectedly pregnant. We're going to talk about that story in more detail next week. But that's a bit of foreshadowing, a bit of confirmation. Go and see. This amazing thing I'm saying is going to happen to you. One note of confirmation is that your older barren relation, Elizabeth, is unexpectedly pregnant. We pick up the story there. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So that's the context. That's what comes immediately before. Uh, The angel Gabriel appears to Mary, tells her the incredible news that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. It says that Mary, in haste and excitement, goes to see for herself this thing that the angel had told her about her relation, Elizabeth. She gets to Elizabeth, walks in the door. The baby inside of Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, that Holy Spirit-filled in utero fetus leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. And then Elizabeth says all these wonderful things. This is what comes immediately before Mary's song. In response to what Elizabeth has told her, it says Mary opens her mouth and out bubbles forth this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty and has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy, for those, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I, I think one of the things that's very interesting and worth noting about the Magnificat, this song of praise that Mary sings, is that unlike other Christmas songs, it is not written about events in the past. Silent Night, Angels We Have Heard on High, O Little Town of Bethlehem, these are all songs that look back in wonder at the incredible thing that God did. But the Magnificat looks forward in faith-filled anticipation to the incredible thing that God was about to do. This is a song uh, not of celebration so much as it is a song of faith. It is a celebratory song but it's filled with faith for something that has not yet been seen, something that's hoped for but is not yet in the arms. In the midweek email again, I I talked about those musicals. (laughs) And here it is, guys. This is happening. Mary just bubbles forth in song. There is something really cool though, about this spontaneous, unrehearsed song that bubbles forth from Mary's heart as just an impromptu expression of praise to the amazing things that God had said he was going to do. The parallels between this song of praise 
And another song of praise found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 2, 2, by another mother who is blessed with an unexpected pregnancy. Her name is Hannah. You can read her story another, uh, if you want, outside of our time together this morning. But in 1 Samuel 2, Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, uh, is unexpectedly blessed with a pregnancy after suffering from being barren for a very long time. And the, the similarities between what Hannah expresses in praise to God and what Mary expresses to, in praise to God are too striking to ignore. For example, the opening line of Mary's song is, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hannah begins her song of praise by saying, My heart exults in the Lord, and I rejoice in your salvation. Hannah sang in 1 Samuel 2, There is none holy like the Lord. And Mary sings, Holy is his name. Hannah sang, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Mary says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Hannah said those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And Mary says he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Let me just say at the outset, I do not think Mary is plagiarizing Hannah. (laughs) And I don't think she's even consciously quoting Hannah. I think the similarities that we see between these two songs provide us with a wonderful insight into Mary and into how her inner world had been shaped. Her prayers and her songs of praise are just absolutely saturated in God's word. Her inner world is what comes spilling out in this song. And it is a world with God and God's words at the center. What does it mean when Mary opened her mouth to sing praises that scripture is what bubbled forth and filled her mouth? I think she was a woman who was not only familiar with the content of the Bible, but she was somebody whose heart and mind were in the grip of it. The way Mary thought, the way Mary spoke, the way Mary prayed and worshipped and even sings had been shaped by what she had seen in God's word. Do you remember the story in Matthew 4 of the temptation of Jesus? Satan comes to Jesus and takes him to these different locations and he tempts him in different ways. Whenever he tempts Jesus, Jesus instantly responds with what? Scripture. Do you know how many hundreds of references to the Old Testament scriptures are woven into the fabric of the New Testament writings? Scripture is the language of the Holy Spirit. And I think what we see here in Mary is that although she was not consciously quoting the Old Testament when she begins to sing, the big takeaway for me is that her heart and mind are so steeped in the Bible that when she opens her mouth, what spills out is the Bible. (laughs) So although in true musical fashion, this song is seemingly impromptu and spontaneous, we see that it is not really completely unrehearsed. 
She's been preparing for this song by filling her heart and mind with the, with the Bible, with God's Word, for years. Again, Scripture is the language of the Holy Spirit, and when the Spirit runs to the well of Mary's heart, this is what is drawn up, a rich store of understanding of what God has done in the past. This song reveals a heart that has been shaped by God's word to believe that the God of the impossible was doing it again. So I think we need to see that. We need to be people of the book. Mary's example to us, I think, as we respond to things of great excitement and things that are greatly, deeply discouraging, if we're putting God's word in our heart, we will find that that is what bubbles forth when we um, find ourselves in the midst of strange times, strange circumstances, unexpected news. One of the things that I find uniquely and enduringly wonderful about the Christmas story and about Mary's song is the way that God mingles and contrasts high and exalted language with low and humble things. I, I, I think that if I, was a, if I was somebody who made movies... Um, this song of Mary, I, if I did make movies, it would not be a musical, but <laughs> if, if I was making, if in an incredible lapse of judgment, I, Josh Day, tried to make a musical, I, this, some of the most striking elements cinematically in Mary's song is who the person is who's singing about this great reversal of fortunes. You know, that, that, that the low are going to be lifted high, and those who are high and on the throne, are, they're going to be brought down. Who is singing about these incredible, prophetic, powerful things? But one of the most powerless human beings in that culture at that time, a poor, probably teenager, Judean girl from an obscure family, there's a lot, this is uh, going out beyond what the Bible tells us, but there's a lot of evidence in, in the story, the Christmas story, that Mary was without a mother, possibly, maybe without parents that were still living by this time. It's odd, for example, that she would go to Bethlehem with her betrothed, not with her family. That's kind of weird. So there are some indications that maybe she was also... On a, didn't have significant family ties. She, th- who is this person, this poor, impoverished Mary, to proclaim these kinds of amazing truths? And this is not the only place where we see this. As we read our way through the Christmas story, the Bible makes us look up at angels, a bright star, high exalted language of a savior and a king and then we're made to look down into the streets of a small backwater farming community shepherds and mary and joseph and most of all guys we look down 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 into the amazing depths of a feeding trough where the almighty creator god has humbled himself so low that he has become food for us, the bread of life. This theme of high and low, humble and exalted, powerful and weak, rich and poor, is a continuous thread that runs right through Mary's song of praise.
The power of this earliest of Christmas songs comes from the view expressed by Mary that God was invading the world and everything was changed. Everything is different now. He was going to turn the established order of things on its head. Mary's song is nothing less than a full-throated pronouncement that the axis of the world has shifted permanently. And you had best get in line with that shift. (laughs) That's what she's saying. You know, I've given this analogy before, but you know, here in Aroostook County, March 21st, first day of spring, it doesn't look like spring. We all know this. Snow is the depth of a ski pole out in the middle of the fields. But March 21st is that moment when the axis shifts The axis of the earth shifts and spring is coming in like the tide. It's unstoppable. I guarantee you in a few months, the Aristic River is going to be wide open and flowing and all of the dog's poop from all winter long will be showing next to the door. (laughs) It's going to happen, guys. Spring is coming. You know it and I know it. But on March 21st, it doesn't look like it. But the axis is shifted. What Mary is pronouncing with this song is the shift of the earth's axis. And she's saying this so that all those who are meek and poor in spirit, who have been holding on faithfully, trusting God and his promises, not grabbing what they can of the earth, not abusing others, loving righteousness, mourning over their sin, she is saying, hang on. The day of reward is coming. The axis has shifted. The low are going to be exalted. Those who exalt themselves are going to be brought down. Hang on. And she is saying to those who have misjudged these things, this is a song of warning. This is a song pleading with you to be saved. This language is meant as an encouragement to the faithful and a warning to the fat-hearted arrogance of the proud. Those who exalt themselves now will in the end be brought low and the humble will be exalted. Mary has a champion and this is a song of praise to that champion. The rich will be sent away empty. The hungry will be filled with good things. Blessed will be the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. Blessed are they because the axis has shifted. The kingdom is coming in like the tide. Can't be fought. It's a wonderful thing. Most of all, however, this first Christmas song is a celebration of who God is. Just look at the way Mary describes God. Verse 47, she says, my Savior. Verse 49 says that God is he who is mighty and a doer of great things. And in verse 49 also, holy is his name. Describing how Mary feels towards God, she says, my spirit rejoices in him. He's just the best. God is described by Mary as merciful, verse 50, strong, verse 51, a helper, verse 54, 
However, I personally think the most Christmassy line in the entire song is in verse 49 when it says, He who is mighty has done great things for me. (laughs) God in his might. (laughs) Jesus, the all-powerful, almighty, omnipresent, omniscient God in his greatness became a little baby for you. The wonder of the incarnation. Oceans and oceans of divinity contained in a thimble. This small infant. What is Christianity but a celebration of a God who in his might does great things for the weak? Who in the vast abundance of his righteousness extends grace to the wicked? The heart of the Christian message and also the heart of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world to do great things for us. Chief among them to give his life as a ransom for many, that is to die for many, to save them from their sin and from its guilt and power and penalty in eternal punishment. Uh, one of the things I've collected in my Bible on a sheet of paper is I've gone through the read the Bible, sometimes I'll stumble on a verse that says Jesus came for this reason or for that reason. And every time you find a verse like that, it's referencing Christmas. Here are some. Jesus said, for this I was born, for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He's talking about Christmas. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I came, that's Christmas, Not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Perhaps most famously, for God sent his Son, that's Christmas, into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, that the world through him might be saved. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John 10.10, I came, that's Christmas, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And Luke 4, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Uh, this Christmas, as we study these songs, my heart is that, my, my prayer is that our hearts would rise as we sing these songs as well. Uh, that what would bubble forth from our unified times of singing would be a full-throated celebration of the God who in his might has done great things for us. Real quick, in closing, one last observation about this amazing song that Mary sang. I think one of the things that is um, ah, maybe not most important, but certainly an important thing to note about this song that Mary sang is that this is not a private celebration of the truths that she has come to see and understand. Mary's song is a proclamation of truth and not a private celebration of it. I, I have at times 
receive some amazing bit of news, and I get in my car, giddy with excitement, and I shut the door, and in the privacy of that moment, just me and God, I go, yes. (laughs) Have you ever had that? Where just you're excited, God has done something, you've heard some bit of news, and you just go, God, thank you. That's an amazing private celebration between you and God. I'm sure Mary had those. That long walk from her house to Elizabeth's, I'm sure, was full of just, God, I can't believe what's happening to me kind of moments, excitement. But here I want you to see that this song is not a private celebration of truth. It's a proclamation of it. I think this is very much in the spirit of these two passages. In Ephesians 5, we, says, we find this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul commands the church in Ephesus to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Address one another. Colossians, he says something very similar. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Think again about uh, Mary's being steeped in the content of the Bible, being so aware of Hannah's song that when she goes to sing a song of her own, that's kind of what bubbles forth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So one of the things I think we should see and take away from the uh, Christmas story, of this story, of the story of Mary's song of praise, is this Christmas, uh, what is needed is for us not to just privately celebrate the truth of Christmas, but to proclaim it, but to go out into the streets (laughs) and proclaim the truth of Christmas. Not just enjoy it as a private celebration. Brothers and sisters, you are a conduit of blessings, not a reservoir. Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's because it never flows out. All that stuff flows down into the Dead Sea and it just collects there. And then it turns septic and nothing can live in it. And that's a picture of a Christian life that just receives downhill all the blessings of God. You receive and privately celebrate Christmas and all that it means for us, but we never flow out. We celebrate, but we never proclaim. So the challenge I want to give to you all this Christmas is to be like Mary. <laughs> Let's celebrate. We have a lot to be excited about. Let's gather together. Let's sing. Let's enjoy God. Let's spend time in God's word. Let that dwell in us richly. Let God's word shape our inner world in such a way as it did Mary. And lastly, let's be proclaimers of the truth of Christmas this Christmas season. Let's give, it's like we get to give people God. (laughs) If I gave each of you a million dollars and said, you can go out of here and give it to anybody you want, we would all skip out of here so excited at the prospect of rolling up to somebody's house and giving them a million bucks. Can you imagine? If you just were handed a million bucks and said, you can go give it to anybody who might need it, 
instantly we have a list in our head. Wow, can you imagine the joy? Guys, you get to give people the riches of the inheritance of the saints. You get to give them eternity. You get to give them pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore. (laughs) A million bucks looks downright shabby, cheap, unsubstantial. Let's not put a stopper on that. Let's let it bubble forth. Let's be like Mary. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have filled our hearts with good things. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would... God, we're about to take communion. And God, we remember the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. After giving the instructions for communion, he says, and by this you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, there is a clear expectation in your word that we would be proclaimers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God, let's go out of here today filled with a Christmas hope and intent on giving that to others. Give us opportunities, give us courage, give us the words in the moment. God, pray, Lord, that you would make us like Mary, that the story would just rise in our throats like song in a bird. It just can't be stopped. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.